Today's episode is brought to you by our sponsor, Brooklet Games. Go to patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games for beautifully crafted content that provokes creative problem-solving and dramatic scenarios. Brooklyngames.com, find zines and more, patreon.com backslash Brooklet Games. Welcome to Wobblies and Wizards. I am your host, Richard Duane of Varbrook Studio, author of uh, Moonlight and Roseville Beach, Sherwood, and Barrow Keep. And I am joined today by my co-host, Logar the Barbarian. Hello, I am Logar the Barbarian. How are you today? I, it's It's been like, what, like like months since I got to like, you know, sit down and like take a lot of your time because I ramble on so much. You know what? You have the, you. I think that you you, you and I made the uh, the record for longest episode ever of Wobblies and Wizards, <laughs> which came in about two hours. It was put up on the Patreon. So if you want to hear that, it should be somewhere on the Patreon. <laughs> uh, I think, and I think it was the, the best part about it being two hours is that like you had invited me on to talk about one thing. And I don't think we... We ever got more than five minutes on that one topic. Um, <laughs> that's it good, was fantastic. Though. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's it also I got to talk to you, so that's that's amazing. <laughs> so uh, yeah, what, let's let's talk games. Let's talk. Let, let's let's let, let's talk wobblies and wizards. Uh, I think today we're talking both wobblies and the wizard side, right? Oh, nice. Let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> so. We, you since we last talked, mm-hmm. I think we were waiting for Moonlight at Roseville Beach to come out, and had I don't think Sherwood had come out all the way. You're still working on it, am I correct? Yeah, yeah. No, Sherwood had gone into layout when we last mm-hmm. talked, and it came out. Uh, it got out of layout on November first, and then Roseville Beach was just heading into editing, uh, and that came out on December twenty seventh. So no matter what you plan on, just count on the fact that like if you do if you work on more than one game at a time, they're mm-hmm. ultimately going to end up like hitting coming out at the same time because that's oh, no. just the way like you know that's just the way life works but yeah yeah no sherwood sherwood came out on november 1st and it has been really really generously received uh and has sold is has been selling really well and uh and getting a lot of a lot of encouragement uh and i've got some fun things kind of lined up to kind of support that and oh, uh nice. roseville beach is the same way it's 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 a uh, benefited by uh the incredible art direction of Sugar's working with public domain pulp art uh, as kind of the primary, really the only art source in the book. And it's just uh, really exciting just to run, to look at, to like be kind of an artifact in your gaming library. It sets the tone of that play of that piece really, really well, even though, you know, pulp, you know, was about 20 years before 10 to 15, 20 years before the, the time of the game. Yeah, uh, it was still the movies and in the movies and popular fiction of the of the seventies were were still very much inspired by pulp art. Yeah, um, and there's there's something to say about how there's like this this association with history too, like how we perceive oh, yeah. things. How like like I watch people looking now at like the way the eighties is portrayed on television. Yeah, and it's kind of weird. Yeah, <laughs> it's not like well, that's not how it was. But I guess at this point, like in in everyone's mind, that is a definitive reality of how it was. So going 20 years earlier, I don't think there's a yeah. problem with it. It's not like yeah, we got no, an accurate no. understanding of the past 90% of the time. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's 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 been like, you know, the last few months of my life have been kind of dominated by the, those going, well, we also just, 
really or, or just find out today that they're about to release the Brazilian translation of or the Portuguese translation in Brazil of Barrow Keep, my first my first game, oh, which nice. I'm really excited about. I've had several Brazilian game designer friends who have been really incredibly generous and collaborative with me uh, and given me a lot of encouragement. Uh, Diogo Neguera was kind of a big, just like, you know, cheerleader for a lot of us who kind of came up after him in the, in the indie world. And uh, just being able to see it kind of make that, make that transition back to where it being available in Portuguese is really exciting. That that's cool. That's super. Cool. We're, we're, now I, I'm going to rewind for a minute because I remember oh. us talking about something about Borrow Keep. Did a new version or was a new version? Yeah, yeah. No, so so uh, there there's there's a playtest version of the rules. I'm I'm still kind of poking at those for a little bit. Borrow Keep concept has always been to sort of like distinct locations in the world, kind of having their own sort of like framework and episode guides and games. And so I'm, so, uh, you know, Barrow Keep was one of those locations, and the second location is going to be the nearby town, and that's fun because I think it gets us kind of a little bit back to today's topic, which is, you know, but uh, you know, Barrow Keep has that romantic fantasy thing. I think of, uh, you know, really, you're you're engaged with these big political figures, but you're engaged with them on a personal level because you're you're they're your employer or they're your dad or you're, you know, they're it's so it's it's sort of does not get all the opportunities to really sort of work on the personal dimension of politics that I think that once you get down to the town, you really get to get some of those politics affecting everyday people and people sort of making their own decisions about how power works, which weirdly was hard to do in a castle. Cause once you put people in a castle, they're sort of like, and once you tell someone that like, Oh yeah, the, that ruler is your dad. <laughs> that changes the, the dynamic of how people relate to power naturally, which is interesting in and of itself, but it was certainly, you know, important to sort of capturing part of that romantic fantasy genre. But I think once it sort of gets down to the town, it, it, it becomes just much more, um, immediate that you're seeing you know when you live in the town you can't evade seeing people who are negatively affected by political yeah. decisions and, and economic re and and the the economic decisions that rulers and business people and criminal bosses and all those different groups of people make for their own interest and oh, then yeah. uh, you can't avoid seeing those things which when you live in the castle you might see a little bit of that but that's not like part of your everyday reality mm-hmm I, 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 and for some reason, I'm going to jump over to talking about something completely different than role playing yeah. games. Now I'm going into Star Wars because <laughs> you know, you know, it's yeah, you know. <laughs> so, and I've been noticing with like Andor here lately, and then the most mm -hmm. recent episode that came out of the Mandalorian. They've been now, I'm behind a little on, deeper. on all the I'm behind on it all is, the Disney Plus series. Oh, the the Andor the whole series mm -hmm. is nothing but politics. And yeah, this yeah, yeah. last Disney Plus episode of Mandor was nothing but politics. Kind of messed up politics, but as mm. watching that, I feel as if like wow, the opportunities for the future of Star Trek. There's so oh. much they can do now that they just delved into these political conflicts. Oh. So even as like just keeping games and plot lines and everything interesting. I'm attracted to a political theme throughout the game. 
Yeah, yeah. It's it makes it interesting, and especially if you have players who are like, okay, we're we're gonna get invested in whatever side of this and and get involved in this. Now, I'm not running a very political campaign right now with my CNC game. I'll be honest, but oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I've run plenty of political games, and and I'm sitting here trying to plot out another political game to run simultaneously. <laughs> So that's just kind of a, a a diversion there, but yeah, the layers of like like just look at like faction play, essentially, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah. And I think that's I'm not really sure if I consider myself an OSR designer, and I think like you know you can look at like games like yeah, you know, Moonlight or Roosevelt Beach. They're not at all. Like, there's they're certainly informed a lot by OSR, and I worked with a lot of OSR people like Nora Rose on it, but I also worked with a lot of indie story game people. Mm-hmm. On that, and I, I actually got to work with a couple of people who have like more experience in sort of the trad world, like Allison Seib and Antool, who are both you know really phenomenal creators and bring sort of that sort of trad perspective into there. But I think uh, I think one of the things that I learned from running and playing OSR games is just how beautiful faction play is when it really starts to sing. Yeah, um, and uh, I know a lot of people have found like, you know, they, they've sort of turned to Blades in the Dark for that. And I, I, I've always found the most satisfying faction play come from that sort of open-ended world. And uh, But I was to say, one of the things in faction play that always feels like a bit of a risk, mm-hmm. um, and a, risk is the wrong word, because that that's implies that this is like in, inherently like a bad or dangerous thing, but it's not always the most, it is not always the most satisfying thing is that there's always this this desire to sort of to kind of fix the factions yeah and it's, it, there's always this desire that's this this is um like oh but if we just do this then everybody will will start getting along and then we'll fix we'll fix the political problems um and then and then and then everything's great and i mean that's not unlike reality only right. rea- in reality fixing the factions is 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 quite difficult now i'd say right, that, yeah. <laughs> i'd say yeah, that there's no, a lot fixing of like theory. like and, <laughs> like we we're both leftists and uh yeah. and we both have a lot of connections with the the center left liberal world and like fixing the factions is is like oh. is is rough i mean just even among just leftists even just like taking oh, out center left liberal world yeah oh yeah if you just take like anarchists or communists yeah. Yeah. Even within those categories, there's like the different, the varying denominations are conflicting and fighting and screaming at each other online yeah. and everywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, hey, y'all are fighting each other more than you're fighting the capitalists. <laughs> and, and a lot of those divisions, you know, and we complain about them, but a lot of those divisions are super important. Like, you know, a lot of it are driven by, you know, that there have been racist leftist and anti-semitic leftist um or 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 leftists who want to ignore racism and anti-semitism and unless you're going to have those fights you're just going to like give like like unless you're going to have the fight you're just going to say yes to whoever yells first like unless you're willing to like to like get in there and slug it out yeah i was just you know there's you know because we certainly have a history of an anti-queer left yeah Um, oh yeah I mean, history and a present, apparently. Yeah, apparently, years. yeah. There's, there's definitely also a present of anti-queer leftism. I'm curious to ask a little bit. I'd, I'd like to go maybe touch on Sherwood for a bit, uh, because as a story goes, the Robin Hood story has always been political, and it's been portrayed from very, di- various different 
political uh philos i guess like uh, world views over the years yeah. from different folks who would ha- take it have a different take on who robin hood is <laughs> yeah like so you know robin hood older probably likely older than any of the extant texts we have like all the extant texts we have go back to the 15th century but likely maybe a hundred like we know at least at least a hundred years before the oldest extant text there were already robin hood stories because we see them referenced in other literature uh devotional literature like pierce plowman is complaining that like common people can't say the paternoster but they can say they can they can they can recite robin hood ballads (laughs) yeah and that's like 60 70 years before the the earliest extant robin hood text so we know that we know that there was stuff out there we like suspect an oral tradition like, i'm assuming yeah yeah also you know we there was probably also a literary tradition mm-hmm. we see a lot of fragments uh of manuscripts there, there was a famous like little bit of verse that was recorded by some lincoln some monks in lincoln that is clearly part of a bigger piece but all we have is that first stanza that was just sort of written down in a book in Lincoln in the among the the monks in Lincoln Cathedral, uh, or the canons of Lincoln Cathedral. So uh, we've got a lot of that like extant stuff, and clearly starts with common storytelling. Not a lot of interest in royalty, mm-hmm. not a lot of interest in the king. The king is never a buffoon. Like local royal officials are frequently buffoons. The king is rarely a buffoon. And is usually fairly clever in most early Robin Hood stories, but it's always somebody named Edward. Uh, there were a lot of Edwards, and I don't think the tellers of the story cared which one it was. Uh, it's just that, like that, that was a safe name to name a king because we had a bunch of Edwards in a row, and so that's just a safe thing to say. There were a bunch of Henrys in a row, but all of them died pretty quickly, and then and then the War of the Roses started. But uh, you have like two long-lived Edwards with a short-lived Edward kind of in between them and so it's it's like the long lived the first long lived edward was was the oldest son of a very young king and so he was prince of wales for even longer than he was mm-hmm. king and then he re- and then he reigned for a long time um so like edward was like a prominent royal name for over a century so it's safe safe name by the time you get to the early 15th century just name it edward <laughs> uh, that fits somebody but that just goes to show like this is not interested in the king as a character in these stories Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm They're never really interested. All like, that interesting, like, you know. Here's the thing: history is often told by the perspective of the conqueror. When you're reading these yeah. dry history books about so and so conquered so and so, so and so was in state. It's boring. It's not interesting yeah. history. But they, 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 it was. It's very interesting history there. Yeah, it's just that they kind of like, you know, squashed it, killed it, conquered one. And they're trying to present this as I am the good one. That, yeah, you know, it's like it's it's kind of garbage. <laughs> and there's, you know, I've also seen historians talking about the fact that even even kings that we popularly regard as like total trash, like mm-hmm. John or Charles the first or Edward the second have their supporters. They have people who are excited about them, you know. Uh, I've, I've heard at least one historian talk about the fact that like, you know, John was like a trash King for everybody at the top, but he actually created like a common code of criminal law that applied to everybody instead of just letting aristocrats just randomly, uh, you know, um, and that's, that may not be true. I mean, Uh, there, there may be nuance there. Yeah. it, It seems like, 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 like kind of the opposite of what we currently have, what you're saying. Yeah. 
so you know the, the kings just aren't all that interesting as as ballad figures anyway so like you know and, and even even in the one ballad where robin spends a lot of time dealing with the king uh he ends up like just like running away from the royal court like he's taken into the royal service he gets really bored wants to go back to being an outlaw so he just he tells the king that he's got to go pray at this little shrine up in up in yorkshire and he just leaves never comes back yeah like there's a thing too i'm thinking about the kings like 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 i would be interested in reading i'm not very knowledgeable in the war of the roses i'm aware Uh, that that what's his name um game of thrones throny thrones used martin that's right yeah. yeah used it for the books kind of influenced it i'm sure if i get a good book on the on the war of the roses i would be just completely lost in it but in general like a biography of of our of the current King Charles over there in England, I think, would be a dry, boring read because the guy didn't do a damn thing besides be born into power. Yeah, spend his money and wield his power. <laughs> he had popular, he had, po- he had he had popular, you know, uh, approaches to environmentalism, and that's about it. Yeah, you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it's I. One of the things I would like to do with Sherwood is really kind of look at the effect of the Second Baron's War on like life for the common person. Simon de Montfort is a, is a regional Earl and he decides to initiate a rebellion and he is like very much sort of a right, a modern, like he, like I, people talk about like, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to, you know, apply our con our current understanding of the world to the past, mm-hmm. but really like just Simon de Montfort is in so many ways, just a right wing populist. Mm-hmm of the of the trump variety who just you know he immediately just starts going like you know what's unpopular all this money lender all these money lenders and so he starts this really aggressive anti-semitic campaign that kills thousands of people and that and 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 like you know drives drives the king out of out of uh several royal houses uh he attacks nottingham which is a royal residence which is a town sort of formed around a royal residence and at that point in history had a very large jewish community Mm-hmm. Uh, but just a violent, evil anti-Semite from a family of anti-Semites. He had he had several ancestors who had done similar things in France, and uh, and but I, what I would really love to find is like what is a a common person's life like? You know, what can we reconstruct about a common person's life? Um, oh yeah, that's hard. That's kind this... of hard to find information. Yeah, like, I've picked really, up a really... few books on feudalism, and it's not the most like nobody back then was interested in writing about the common folks' lives for the most part. Right, we're we right. have a Howard Zinn. <laughs> right, yeah. You had a well, and also you had a you have a few contemporary folks who sort of reconstruct stuff, but it's hard for them to do that. Like, so what was the effect of something like the Second Barons War? when all the aristocrats or all the, all the mid-level aristocrats suddenly like join this sort of populist leader. And then all of a sudden there's this massive disruption across the country, but we don't really know what common everyday life was like for everyday people during that time. Uh, And so there's a lot of project, like I think by the time we get to the war of the roses, there's more widespread literacy and we can talk about a little few more things. Uh, there's more widespread literacy. There's more chronicling. Uh, there's more local chronicles, uh, more detail in the local chronicles. It's easier to, to reconstruct War of the Roses, but 200 years er- earlier in the Barons War. Uh, and I've been very fascinated with the Barons War because it it, it sort of changed the shape of, of Nottingham, mm-hmm. which I'm doing a lot of writing on right now. 
And uh, I, I'm not going to try to do a historical fantasy version of Nottingham. Yeah. Uh, or I'm, I'm going to try to do a historical fantasy version of Nottingham, but with emphasis on the fantasy. But I'm not going to try to like make it absolutely true to history. But I think it's really important to see like, you know, people living in Nottingham got a, a, a little bit of different lifestyle from other places in England during the Middle Ages, just because uh, yeah. the city's a royal residence. And it has like a giant like French presence. It's got a very large Jewish community it kind of spreading out. And then the, the king is frequently in residence, but also that makes it a target for things like Simon de Montfort uh, marching on Nottingham and, mm-hmm. and, and doing big massacres of the common people. Well, I'm gonna ask because we're come we're past time now. Oh, <laughs> but I want to ask that. you. One, Sorry. I, yeah. I want, oh, you're good. I want to ask you a quick question. Uh, you said uh, I I got the impression maybe there might be something more involved with Shearwood or, or Rose, Moonlight and Roseville Beach coming up in the future. Could you tell us what we might expect to be seeing here? Yeah, so Sherwood is. Uh, I've got two sort of projects working uh, that I'm working on Sherwood for. One is kind of a bestiary that's kind of driven by like creatures and people of the greenwood oh. uh bestiary is probably the wrong word there's a lot also a lot of a lot of people in there the historic sherwood forest was a, a royal preserve it connected to the peak district was which was an actual historical location that was tightly tied to to 14th century outlawry there was a really kind of center of outlawry in the the middle of england uh in the peak district uh, with several, with a, with a couple of gangs who were sort of collaborating to kind of control the Midlands from sort of their kind of hidden, their hideouts in the Peak District. Sounds like we can do some of that faction play with that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and then also uh, something that's going to be kind of a fantasy version of Nottingham. Uh, I'm hoping it will also have locations that you can pull into other games if you don't want to do something historical. A slightly different approach to Sherwood is is making it a little bit more of an urban game where okay uh and it, you see this in robin hood literature people will mm-hmm. certainly like you know uh paul creswick's uh robin hood had like a you know the outlaws forming like a house in town like taking marion's old family house in town and sort of making that their nottingham headquarters uh and we only see a glimpse of it in the in the novel but i thought like what if that was sort of like a real sort of center of play like what were you you had a you had a a hideout in town and then certainly lots of Robin Hood television goes into the town yeah. a lot. It makes me think of the ABC Cafe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell the folks where they can find you on the internet and check out your stuff and pick sure. up uh, some uh, of the games? You have a few other games besides the ones we've already talked about as well around, floating yeah. around right now. <laughs> so got a new site and blog up at uh, r-rook.studio. Uh, which, you know, if you go to my old site of r-rook.com, that'll redirect you there. Um, and then uh, you can also find me on Twitter at rrookstudio, all one word, and rrook at dicecamp.com, or at dice.camp, so. Excellent. Well, I want to thank you for coming back on. It's been good getting a chance to catch up. Yeah, yeah, it's been great to see you. If you've enjoyed what you've heard today, give us a positive review wherever you're listening. You can find us on Facebook, search Wobblies and Wizards. Wobbliesandwizards.com is our blog. I'm on Twitter and TikTok at Logar Hale Crom. We're on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Wobblies and Wizards. And as always, keep those dice rolling.